This morning, uh, we are back in our I Am series. We're going through the seven I Am statements of the Gospel of John. Last week, we saw that Malachi took us through uh, the statement, I am the bread of life, showing that Jesus is the greater manna that's been given to us. And this week, we're looking in John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, just to get you ready, I'm curious, how many of you guys like a good party? Anybody here like a good party? Uh, streamers and everything, right? Yeah, we like all of it. So we like good parties. Uh, did you know that God likes a good party? I don't know if you're new to this Christianity stuff, but uh, you might have been told a lie that God doesn't like a good party. He actually loves parties. In fact, uh, he commands parties. And this morning, as we're looking at our text, it just so happens that there's one of these major parties that God commands that stands at the backdrop of this scene that we find. So if you look at John 8, 12, you'll notice that it begins with this word, again. And that word, again, is actually pointing us back to something that's happened before, And I'm just going to save you the time of research and and let you know that it actually points back to 737. 737, uh, we find that Jesus is showing up during uh, this thing they call the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, It's such a big party that sometimes they just call it the Feast for for short. And everybody knows what they're talking about. Well, this feast is actually a, a feast that God called his people to celebrate every year. You can find this in Leviticus 23, where you'll find that God commanded all of Israel on this time during the year to pilgrimage to Jerusalem after the harvest, after they got the olives and the grapes in, after they had seen the abundance of God's goodness. Uh, It was then that they were to have a seven-day party, seven days. Like this, some of you are like, man, I've never had a party like this. This is good. But in this party, it was kind of like a camping trip because they would build these booths And they were built with sort of palm leaves on top so that maybe you could even like sort of see the the moon and stars at night. And God was doing this because he wanted to remind them of where they had come from. You know, this party was really to remind them of the days of their wilderness wanderings where that fiery cloud led them by night through the wilderness. And, And this celebration was so that they would be reminded every year of how God redeemed them out of Egypt and provided for them while they were in that wilderness. See, God did not want Israel to allow prosperity to cause them to forget the God who redeemed them out of slavery and led them through the darkness by the light of his presence with them. He said, you need to remember that, and a party is a great way to establish it. Now, what do you think about when you think about some famous parties like Christmas? What do you think about when you think about Christmas? Somebody said Jesus, good job. And somebody said Christmas trees, we're working on you. And I heard lights. And and, and that's what comes to my mind when I think about Christmas is the lights. And when you would think about the Feast of Booze, light is what would have come to mind. There was something significant about the light. There were a couple of aspects of the celebration that were unique. One was you had this priest and uh, he would come out of the temple and he would uh, scurry down to the, uh, to the pool of Shalom, you know, a couple hundred yards, and then he would uh, take a, a vessel and fill it of water and bring it back and he would pour it out on the altar. So there was this water element, but the bigger element that would have been on their minds would have been this idea of light. Andreas Kostenberger. He explains this aspect and really the the nature of what this party was like in this way. He says this, as part of the festivities, four golden lamps were put in place. 
And an abundance of oil was poured into the large golden bowls. The lamps rose over the outside of the walls of the temple and were said to illumine the entire city of Jerusalem. In the ensuing joyous celebration, the pious danced with torches, not something you might be used to hearing, pious and dancing together, but it was happening. They spoke words of praise, and the Levites played their musical instruments standing on the steps that led from the court of the Israelites to the court of women. The dancing and singing lasted all night until dawn. Now, notably, the main uh, candelabrum was left until the last night to remind the Israelites that they still awaited their full salvation in the future. Isn't that a beautiful description? Like just preparing the way with these great lights. But what did the light signify in the days of Jesus as he was acknowledging and observing this festival? Well, think about it. These are the booze that were in the wilderness. And they're around this great light that represented that cloud, that fiery cloud of the presence of God that led them, that was full of God's Shekinah glory. And so as they lit up these lamps, it was reminding them of the presence of God that led them. See, God's people followed God's presence, and he saved and protected them in the darkness of the wilderness. It represented this light, God's presence and salvation for God's people. So Jesus stood in the temple as the Feast of Booze was ending, and that last candelabra was beginning to burn out, which gave light over all of Jerusalem. And as that light faded and dimmed, Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's a pretty big statement. We just had a big party. Jerusalem was pretty well lit. And now this guy's coming in and saying he's light of not just Jerusalem, but the world. Now the big idea this morning is that Israel's glory cloud looks dim next to our radiant Christ. Israel's glory cloud looks dim next to our radiant Christ. We're going to unpack that. First, we'll see that Jesus fulfills with the light of the Feast of Booze anticipated. Now, just in case you're wondering, we're actually just going to be circling around 8:12 this whole time. That one verse. I know we read a lot, it gave us context, but we want to really just meditate on 8:12. As we do that, I just want to ask you to pray with me. Pray again for God's help. Father, this morning as we come before you, we have all kinds of distractions. We live in a world that is full of darkness. And Lord, today uh, we ask again afresh that you would bring us light for our souls in the person of Christ by the power of your spirit that we might see you. Lord, we want more of you. And so Father, we ask that you would remove distractions and that you would help us to focus especially on you and your Christ that we might see you clearly. It's in the great name of your son that we do pray. Amen. Okay, first, Jesus fulfills what the light of the Feast of Booze anticipated. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about light, all kinds of things, and I believe that we might see a number of things at play here. Uh, You'll notice that light is is something that is, uh, one, present at creation. So God spoke physical light into being in the first creation in Genesis 1, God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light, and he had a separation between the light and the darkness. And here light seems to be signaling a new creation. 
breaking out with the arrival of Christ. See, when God led Israel out of bondage to Egypt, he saved and redeemed them from physical slavery and made a covenant with them promising, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And that pillar of fire by night led ethnic Israel through the wilderness. It signaled a kind of new creation for this people. Well, John 1, 4 to 5 seems to pick up on this connection of light to creation If you were looking in John 1, you'll remember that it begins with the eternal word taking on flesh. But but notice that as 1, 4 to 5, John 1 to 4 to 5 picks up on this connection of light to creation. Because after saying all the things were created by the word, it says, and in him, this word, was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But we also see, not only that it, it seems to have a creative element, new creative element to it, that it, it signals Jesus saying, I am the light, that he is the ultimate light. Now, what I mean by this is that Jesus is the light that we've been waiting for. He is the light that everybody ultimately needs. John 1.9 says, the true light, which gives light to light, to everyone was coming into the world. The true light. See, Jesus is the true light in the sense that he is the real or genuine light as opposed to a lie or something that's false. But as John Carson notes, this word also carries a sense of ultimate light. Not just true as opposed to false, but it's the ultimate light. So for instance, if you were to flip over to John 5, and look at verses 35 to 36, you'll notice that Jesus says, hey, John the Baptist, he he was a light. In fact, he calls him there a burning and shining lamp. And he says, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, speaking to these Jews, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the father has sent me in other words I am the light John was a lamp and as the last candelabra of the feast of booze which lit up all of Jerusalem dimmed Jesus came saying I am the light of the world and don't miss this this light is not like John's lamp or the candelabra of the feast of booze or even the glory cloud that led Israel in the wilderness. These lights led Israel, but they only prepared the way for the greater light, the ultimate light that would give light to the whole world, Jesus Christ. But There's a third kind of aspect to this light. There's a sense that we'll find throughout in John and elsewhere that this light speaks of a kind of moral uprightness. You know, there's a sense in which Jesus, Jesus is the light. In this sense, he is perfectly righteous, obeying God in every way. And as we'll see, darkness represents that place of sin and death and slavery. It's where the devil reigns. In fact, obedience to God is actually a a kind of restoration of how humanity was to operate. We were to image God. We were made after his likeness and in his image. And here Jesus so obeys God's law that to look at Jesus is to actually get a glimpse at the Father himself. 
Which leads to one last aspect of Jesus as light, and that is Jesus as God. Now you'll remember that the flaming cloud represented the presence and protection of God with and for his people. And Jesus says, I, I am the light. Now, that's not exactly him saying, I am God. But John, you'll remember, he says in 1 John 1.5, also written by this John, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. In other words, God is light. Now, this light speaks of the purity of God's perfections. And if, I don't know if you've ever just meditated on the perfections of God. You should do that often. But it's kind of amazing and mind-boggling just to think about the nature of God in that he is so different than us. You know, you might have a good friend who you think is honest, right? Like honest Abe or, or something like that. And you're thinking like, yeah, that's about the most honest person I know. And yet, if we understand him in light of God, we know that his honesty is actually imperfect and dirty before a holy and righteous God. God is perfectly honest, perfectly true, perfectly just. He is pure. He is unadulterated. If you're thinking about orange juice, there's no pulp in God, right? Like he is altogether good in all that he is and perfect and pure. There are no impurities in him. And light speaks to the nature of the perfections of the purity of the character of God. See, light often represents God's presence. You'll remember that he appeared to Moses in what? A burning bush. Uh, you'll remember that he, he led, again, the people of Israel uh, out of, uh, in the wilderness through this blazing cloud. But Jesus says, I am the light. Now, to look at my light is to see the light of the Father. Now, he says this a lot more clearly if you scan down to John 8, 48 to 59. You'll notice that it's really interesting in this book. He's talking, he says, I am the light of the world. And then he immediately, verse 13, enters into a debate about the nature of like his paternity, right? Like, who's your daddy? Well, I know who your daddy is. You don't know who my daddy is. And you know what? Your daddy's a dirty guy. Well, your daddy's the devil. I mean, like there's this whole debate between the Pharisees and Jesus about paternity. And you might think, like, what does that have to do with the conversation? Well, I think that what's going on between 8 and chapter 9 is he's clarifying the nature of what he means in these verses. And in verses 48 to 59, the Jews say that they are sons of Abraham and ask Jesus, do you think that you're better than Abraham? Because the way that you're talking, it sounds like you're actually exalting yourself above Abraham, Father Abraham, who is a huge deal to the people of Israel. And Jesus says in verse 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, we've been talking about Jesus' I am statements with predicates, like I am the bread and I am the light, but this is one of those unique I am's in the New Testament, in John, where he says just simply, I am, period, maybe exclamation mark. And in fact, I, I think this likely, likely comes from a section of Isaiah in 43.13 where Yahweh himself says, yes, and from ancient of days, I am he. And I believe this is pointing us back to Exodus 3.14. Remember what happened there? That's where Moses, he comes before God and God says, you're going to go and lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. 
And he says, okay, well, people are probably going to ask for like a name of the God that I'm representing. So what should I tell them? And he says, what? You tell them that I am sent you. Here we find that Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Now we know that the Pharisees clearly understood this as blasphemy by Jesus and that he was claiming deity because what did they immediately try to do? Try to stone him. That's what you do when somebody blasphemes. There is, there is another light. There is no other light next to Jesus. I like what John Frame says, though, here, bringing us full circle. He says, just as Yahweh uses the divine name at the beginning of the first covenant with Moses, Jesus claims it as he comes to institute the new covenant as he creates a new people. And Jesus is the saving presence of God with his people in an ultimate kind of way. See, Jesus doesn't merely say, I am a light. He says, I am the light of the world. Now, I don't have much time to to spend here. I wish I could, but I do want to just mention that it's important if you're new to Christianity that you understand the uniqueness of the person of Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. He is the one with a unique kind of person such that he is one with the Father. There is no other prophet like Muhammad that is one with the Father as Christ is. Christ is the ultimate expression of the revelation of the Father to his people. And there is no other name under which people may be saved. There aren't many ways to the Father. There is one way, one light, Jesus Christ, who is the very image of the invisible God. Now, this is important. This is important. Uh, I have had conversations with uh, friends who are Hindu, and, and, and we've talked, and I've said, do you accept Jesus Christ? And they're like, absolutely. And then I asked them, do you see Jesus Christ as the only God, that there is none other than him? And they've told me very clearly, oh, no, there are millions of gods. Well, no, they they don't understand the uniqueness of the light of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can lead us in the way of life. So if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're new to this Christianity thing and you're wondering, like, what's the most important thing that I can take away this morning? It's this. There is none like Jesus. There is no hope but in Christ. And you don't need to leave here without fully trusting him with your life now and forever. But there's a second thing that we see here. He says, I am the light of the world. Doesn't just say I'm the light, but I am the light of the world. See, Jesus in this picture, it's interesting. You want to say that he shines like the sun. Do you see it? The the whole world is lit by, in this picture, uh, by the light of Christ. But, But that might lose the illustration because remember, he's compared to the glory cloud against the darkness of this world. Now, I'm just wondering, have you ever had like an experience with darkness, like really dark darkness? Uh, when I was, um, uh, just a, about a year ago, uh, we took the family, G and I took the boys, and we were uh, going hiking, and there was this place that hiked down underground and then went back like a mile or a mile and a half, something like that. And uh, we had just like maybe three, you know, flashlights we thought would be enough, but it ended up we needed five. But fortunately, they had this little headgear that I borrowed uh, that the battery was going out on. And so we're going down into the we're going down in this, uh, this dark area, this cave that goes underground, and we might be like five minutes in, 
and my head like slams into a rock. Like blood's coming out. I mean, I look like a warrior. <laughs> I didn't sound like one. I squealed like a girl, but like, but I kept going. And as we kept going, you know, I, I tried to like follow behind Jack to make sure that I had enough light, but it was slippery. And so there were times where I slipped and I was like, man, this is miserable. I can't see where I'm going. It's wet. We, we got to a spot where John goes, hey, dad, look at this massive pool of blood. Wonder what happened here. Now, mind you, the deeper we get, we can see nothing. We can't see people around us. Sometimes we can hear voices. People are turning out their lights and turning them on. I mean, it feels like this weird, like, crazy disco show underground. Um, and then it gets completely dark. And, man, it's just terrifying. And there comes a moment where everybody turns out their lights. We're a mile underground, and we're in complete darkness, and it is absolutely eerie. And I kid you not, I turned to my left, and there's a man there that I did not see. And I was done. We left that day. You know, darkness is terrifying. And that was sort of contained, safe darkness for the most part, if you're coordinated, more coordinated than me. But this life, if you think about this world, this world is dark. And I don't need to convince you of that. That's not just a biblical, like, truth. That's a, an experiential truth. If you, if you doubt it, just go watch the news. I mean, how many, how many pitfalls and how many sort of rocks hanging down do we have as we're just even sitting in our homes quarantined watching the news and, and seeing all kinds of, of discussions about COVID and does COVID really exist and, and, and everybody on the planet's going to die from COVID and you know it's all over the place and you're wondering like I don't even know if I can trust the news there's so much fake news and can I tell fake news from true news and then in the midst of that you, you find that like there, there are riots like people get out of their homes and they're rioting against one another why because we want more peace right and, and you're looking at the world and it feels almost it can feel like the world is like literally on fire right now and yet you're reminded that what john and what jesus said is true that the world is dark it is a dangerous place if not for god this place would be unthinkable but notice here that it's that world that Jesus stepped into as a great light. He said, I am the light of the world. Now, John usually speaks of the world not with an emphasis just on how big it is, but how bad it is. See, the world is dark. So when John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, it's not meant to excite us about the bigness of God's love for so big a thing as much as, I mean, that's true, but also to think of it in the sense of how such a good God so pure could love something as dark as the world. See, the human condition is bad. The earthly sphere in darkness is controlled by Satan. That's the world that Jesus came into as light. All of humanity, without regard to ethnicity and an emphasis on their sinfulness and rebellion against God, that's the hot mess, the dumpster fire that Jesus willingly came to step into to bring light. And with them, there is no light, it's darkness. See, this is our, our default setting as humans, darkness. Now, don't miss this. Our problem isn't merely that we are in darkness, according to the Gospel of John, but that we love darkness. You hear me? It's, it's not just that you are in darkness, but that darkness is in you apart from Christ. So if you look at John 3.19, right after the famous John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? He gave us his son. Keep on reading, 3.19. This is what it says. 
And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I want you just to to pause there for a second. Did you catch that? The world hates the light because they love the darkness and don't want their evil deeds to be exposed. Has anybody ever felt that? You you know that you're in sin and and you need to to confess and you need to to live in the light, but, but what does your heart naturally do in its flesh left to itself when your sin is exposed? You what? You run. You, you, you run. And here he says it's, it's because we actually love the sin. Now catch what that I think implies. It's that if you were to come into the light, it would help kill the sin. Do you see that? But when you're running, you're, you're sort of saving the sin through your running. It's a sin rescue mission. And the world may see Jesus with their physical eyes. But be spiritually blind and love where they are, destined to perish, hopeless. But catch this, verse 13. It might seem in verse 13 that it's taking a detour with this whole who's your daddy conversation. It's happening between Jesus and the Pharisees. But I think Jesus is clarifying something about the nature of the world all along the way. See, Israel thought that they were children of God by virtue of their being physical offspring of Abraham. But Jesus says, I see that not only are you children of Abraham, but that you want to kill me, the one whom the Father has sent. And in John 8, 43 to 44, Jesus says this, you cannot bear to hear my word because you are of of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now, did you catch that? There's a lot there. We can't unpack it all. But notice, for one, Jesus says, your physical daddy might be Abraham, but your spiritual daddy is the devil. Did you see that? Like, you're you're not just by virtue of your DNA and your genetics and your family, like in Christ. That's not how it works. Second, your, your desires are shaped by the devil's desires. That's what it means to be outside of Christ, that your will, your wants, they're not free. They're actually enslaved to Satan. And third, they can't bear to hear Jesus' word because they are not of God, which means that if you're of God, you love to hear the voice of Jesus. You love to hear the scriptures. See, that's why Jesus calls them slaves to sin in verse 34. You sin because you're a sinner. In other words, Jews are part of the darkness of this world. I mean, you see how Jews might be getting upset at this point, right? We're the children of God. We were under the cloud. Like, we're the children of the light. And yet he says, and yet you're rebels against God, and you need the greater light from heaven. See, they're staring at the light of the world. They see him face to face. Can you imagine? Jesus, the light of heaven, has come down, and they are staring him in the face, and they're like, I'm sorry, I'm, I just, I'm confused. Who's your dad again? Like, talk about missing the point. See, the Christ of the gospel preached the gospel to them, and they couldn't stand to hear it. Which I think speaks kind of to how spiritual sight works. It's through hearing. Can't stand to hear what you're saying. I see Jesus. 
I'll see Jesus on a cross, but I will not believe what he says to me. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is pictured here as a spiritual son whose light is far more pervasive than that of the glory cloud that led Israel. Remember? Like, remember those candelabras? They, man, it was amazing. All of Jerusalem was lit up, and Jesus comes and says, and I, I'm here to light the world. But not every person in the world comes to the light. See, we are sinners by default, born in sin, and sinners by nature and by choice. And Jesus says that apart from this light, we are slaves to darkness and we want it. We want the darkness. It's not that we're enslaved and we're good people that just haven't been able to get off the chain because of our circumstances or our backgrounds. It is that we love sin. Just like buzzards who choose roadkill over carrots like all the time, we choose sin. I might choose roadkill over carrots too, but you get the point. I don't like carrots. But if you are a non-Christian, here's what that means. You're not a Christian just because that's how you identified yourself on a survey, because that's like the closest box that actually represents you. That's not what makes you a Christian, like kind of Christian, like maybe more Christian than like Muslim, uh, but, but you know, and, and more than like, no, you're not Jehovah's Witness, but maybe that's in there, but I'm something like that. You're not a Christian because that's just how you have identified yourself on a survey. You're not just a, a Christian children. Hear me. We got beautiful kids in here. Love them. I oh, we have beautiful kids. Just, just want y'all to know, like we can get caught up in loving you and forget to mention this one fact. Hear me. You're not a Christian because your mom and dad are. You hear that? Not a Christian because mom and dad are. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ trusting that you're a sinner saved by grace. And if that doesn't make sense to you, let me encourage you to ask your mom and dad about that when you go home. If you don't love God's word, it might be that you are in a dark place, or it could be because you haven't come to the light. You're not a Christian because you are American. You hear me? Like, that, that does not make you Christian. Like, I'm American, of course I'm Christian. You're not a Christian because you voted Republican. Like, don't go together. Like, different things. You're not a Christian because you voted Democrat. Like, that's, that's just not it. See, you must receive the light of God in the person of Jesus Christ, the true king. If you don't love his word, it could be that you are in a dark place, or it could be because you have not truly come to the true light. And you must put your faith in Jesus, who came to rescue you from sin and death and the hopeless darkness of this world that only ends in eternal punishment with Satan forever. Because why? The darkness does not overcome the light. The light wins. Now, don't miss this. Christians, do you know that the world is a dark place? I'm guessing y'all feel that. I mean, we talked about some reasons, right? You got the pandemic. You got the rioting. You got uh, what looks to be maybe a new genocide that's taking place in China. Uh, you see studies about how people are growing depressed as they're trapped in their homes. And like there's a sadness. And in that sadness, you might begin to think that the darkness is winning. That the hope is disappearing because Jesus really hasn't won. That the light doesn't win in the end. But let me encourage you with a couple of verses just to keep in your heart during this time. John 1.5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and it will not. Second, 1 John 4.4. 4, I love this. Very pastoral. John says, little children. This is Christians. This is hope for Christians. 
You are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You have great hope in Christ. But there's a third thing that we see here. Did you notice those who follow Jesus have the light of life? Those in Jesus have the light of life. See, Israel followed that glory cloud through the darkness of the night, and God's presence and power were with and for them. And here Jesus says, but whoever follows me, new day, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now take note, Jesus here says, whoever follows me. Follow, following a way of life. Putting your faith in someone, but not just Faith in the sense of like, yeah, I, I think if I had to choose, Jesus is a good guy. I like to associate with Jesus. Me and Jesus are homies. That's not what we're talking about. When we talk about faith and a way of life, we're talking about belief to such a point that you actually are leaning your life into Christ with the decisions that you're making such that you look different because you follow Jesus. Catch this, if you follow Jesus and you look the same the day you began following him as the day before, then there is something that is not working about following Jesus. You you see this? You've gotta follow Christ. I'm seeing people kind of nodding and like, I don't know what he just said. It's important that the truth of your relationship with Christ actually shapes and changes your life. See, I think here, following speaks of a way of life. It speaks of a people who listen to and obey the voice of Jesus. I think we see three realities wrapped up in this statement. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. First, Jesus, did you notice, is the focal point of God's new covenant community. Whoever follows what? Me. Jesus. You know, this isn't one of those verses that, like, we go and quote and tell people, like, hey, you know what the Bible says? Whoever follows me, right? Like, we'll not be in darkness. Like, follow Josh, not in darkness. That's not good exegesis. No, God's people must follow Jesus' voice. They must trust Jesus with their whole lives. Now, catch this. This requires a new creation. You'll remember that the Jews are children of the devil, according to Jesus. Now, why is that? It's because Jesus says they cannot bear to hear the words of Christ. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but God the father, he sent me. In other words, a love of God centers on following the light that God sent, Jesus. Jesus is the one sent from the father. He is not like other messengers. He himself is the message. He is one with the one who has been sent to you. And following the light centers on hearing the words of this one. Uh, Verse 47, if you look down there, you'll notice it says this. Whoever is of God, catch that, of God, hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not what? Of God. Now don't miss this. Following Jesus at least means two things here according to 1 John 1, 23. If you want to follow him, you'll notice verse 47, you need to be of God. If you do follow Jesus, here's what it looks like, 1 John 1, 23, believing on the name of God's son, Jesus Christ. That's one. Like you, you can't love God, you can't be of God if you don't believe in the name of God's son, Jesus Christ. 
No other way to be part of this new creation and of the light that has been rescued from the darkness. Believing that Jesus lived a, 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 a life of perfect light and died on the cross for a people enslaved to darkness, but was raised from the dead in glorious light that all who believe in him might be saved is the gospel that he sent to us in Christ. And if you haven't done that, if you haven't put your faith in that Christ, you need to do that right now. See, following also means not just putting your faith in the biblical Christ, but loving one another in John, in 1 John chapter 3. See, Jesus says that we should love God and love our neighbor, but I think loving one another here speaks of the community of lightlings. I like that image, lightlings, people that bear light, that give off light, that in which we see the light of Christ has changed and shaped them such that we are different because of who we are in Christ. There's a real sense in which God has created not just a light, uh, has not just sent his son as light, but he sent us to us such that we will light up with the reality that we are in union with Christ. And we're not called to be alone with our little light, right? No, we're called to start a bonfire. We have communities like local churches. And those local churches are meant to light up with more vibrant light than any individual Christian could alone. I mean, I, I love the beauty of the local church. The thing to which God calls us to give our lives and our spiritual gifts to building up. And one of the beautiful things about the local church is the fact that God has called an imperfect people whom he has given gifts to. People who have all kinds of spiritual gifts. And none of us are good at all of them, but collectively we are way better together than we are alone. And such that we show off together more of the perfections of God, though imperfect, together than we do alone. Now, Trinity Bible Church, if we want to light up in such a way that we show that we are from above, that we are from that great light, then we need to love one another. In fact, John 13 says that our sacrificial love, whether we are changing diapers in the nursery, that's right, I know it feels like a dark place, but there's light there, right? There's light. There's a light of love and sacrificial love that's taking place even with the diapers, the bad diapers, like the number two stinky diapers. There's glory that's happening there as you're changing that, to the, the preaching, like what's happening right now, to you giving generously to the church, all of those things and so much more testifies to a lost world that we are children of light. And that display is so bright that though our physical eyes cannot see it, I love what Paul does in Ephesians 3.10. He says, let me tell you spiritually what's happening in a local church that looks so normal and like it's not lit up. It's lit up so much that he says that there are rulers and authorities in heavenly places that are looking down on what's happening this morning with spellbound wonder. Now, what are the rulers and authorities? We know from chapter six, that's at least demons. I think angels or heavenly beings as well. There's a spiritual audience that is on looking and what God is doing in creation in local churches like this and those scattered throughout Phoenix and the world. And, and they are looking down and they are saying, there is something lit about what God is doing in that place that is distinct from, that stands out against the contrast of the darkness of this world. We're a light show for heavenly intelligences. And when we preach the gospel of Christ, and when we display the power of the gospel in our lives, loving one another and going out to share the gospel with the nations, we are testifying to the truth of the light. But there's a second thing we see in this last phrase. Those who follow Jesus will not walk in darkness. They will not walk in darkness. We will seek to live a life of submission to Jesus Christ and his voice if we are in the light. See, this 
darkness. Light speaks of a morally upright kind of life. Darkness speaks of sin and evil, the domain of the devil. In other words, we will not look like Satan any longer if we were in the light. Satan who lies and kills and rejects Jesus. It also means that our destiny is different when we follow Jesus out of this dark world. You, you might say, well, I'm a believer, and this morning I'm feeling like a lot of conviction and guilt because I've sinned. So like, is this saying that I should be perfect and I must not have done it right? I must not have put my faith in Jesus truly if I've sinned, and I'm even struggling with sin. I want to repent right now. Like, am I far from God? What do I do? Well, again, we go back to 1 John 1, 9. Remember that, that section that talks about light? God is light. It begins with that. And in verse 5, well, it ends in this. What if we sin? John 1, 9, it makes this promise to those living in the light when they sin. He says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That promise is for those who are in Jesus. He's a, he's a light that's contagious, a light that's able to make dark people light again, whole again. In Christ, He's our advocate with the Father when Christians sin. But notice third here. He says we will not walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. You'll remember John 1, 4. We were told the life was the light of men. And here those who follow the light will have the light of life. I think this points to the, the new birth of regeneration. Seeing Jesus, it isn't just physical. It's not just that you see him with your physical eyes. See, many saw Jesus physically and are blind to his identity. I mean, that's a thing that you see all throughout the Gospels, right? Person after person sees Jesus face to face, hears him preach. It can almost be discouraging. You're like, if they rejected Jesus, how am I going to evangelize better than Jesus? Of course, it's because we needed the Spirit and we needed the cross and we needed the resurrection. But many saw Jesus physically and were blind to his identity. They needed spiritual eyes to see him for who he truly was. They needed to be born again. John 1.9 speaks of the, the true light. Before moving down into John 1.12 to 13, talking about who the chosen people of God are, he says, but all who received him being Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become child, children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but what? Of God. And I think that when we see of God, you know, sometimes he's reminding us of, of this, born of God. And in John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a Jew, a Pharisee, who comes to him in the middle of the night. And he says, how can I get into the kingdom of God? You seem to know the, you seem to know the way. What, what is it? And, and he says... You need to be born again of the Holy Spirit to receive the kingdom of God. And you'll remember Nicodemus thought this was nuts. He was like, are you telling me I need to jump back in my mom? That is gross on 12 levels. He says, no. Like, I'm talking about the nature of what? Regeneration and new birth and being born again. A spiritual life that's coming to you is a foreshadowing of first fruits of the new creation that I'm ushering in. And remember John 8, 47. Whoever is of God, Hears the words of God. Now, the reason why you don't hear them, he says, is that you're not what? Of God. In other words, Jesus is the light and the life for those who believe. He gives new life that is 
moral transformation now and eternal duration. In other words, this light lasts forever. But just consider the way that Jesus unpacks this in chapter 9. There Jesus gives a sign with this, this truth, this reality that he is the light of the world. And Jesus gives this man in verse 7 physical sight. You might have noticed that. He's teaching, I am the light. Hey, here's a blind dude who's never seen anything in his life. He's been in utter darkness. I'm going to turn the lights on. He turns the lights on. But it's only in 935 that he comes to believe in a saving way, to have new life, when Jesus tells him that he is the son of man. I love this image, right? I'm the son of man. That's who I am. He's like, oh, I just thought you gave people like sight that were blind forever. That's cool. Son of man, Daniel 7. Remember this? The image of one like the son of God, that's, or son of man, that's coming down. What's he riding? A cloud car. A cloud throne descending from heaven. And this man's on top of it. See, that figure from Daniel 9, 7 is showing one like the son of man who is descending from heaven, coming from the Father with a divine kind of authority. But it took hearing the voice of Christ speaking about himself for this blind man to receive spiritual sight, the light that goes to the soul. So how do we apply this? We've got a few ways. First, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. If you're a believer, I, I want you to, to keep on your mind constantly the nature of what God has done, this great light in Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that we need to celebrate this greater light, Jesus Christ. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of who? Him who called you out of darkness and into his what? Marvelous light. Now, I don't think marvelous is a word that he intended to leave out. I don't think it's accidental. I don't think he was like, I just need an adjective to describe light. We'll go with marvelous. No, he's talking about the glorious nature, the miraculous nature of what God has done in Christ, in us, as a people who were no people to become a people, the very people of God. Don't forget that. And if you're sad and discouraged and depressed, be reminded of what Christ has done as a great light in making you one of the lightlings of God. Second, don't, don't just not forget where you came from. Remember who you are. You are the light. Run from darkness. Run from sin. I'm sure in a room this size, there, there are countless sins that people are struggling with. Countless sins where, where maybe... You've been lulled to sleep in the privacy of your own home, in the quarantine, or in the loneliness of your life, or maybe even in like your own family into thinking that like sin is okay for those who are of the light. It's a lie from Satan. It's not, it's not the words of Jesus Christ, the great light of heaven. The message of Jesus from heaven is we need to put away pornography. We need to put away that bitterness that I have towards my husband or my wife. I need to put away a lack of faith that God can save a sinner like me. 
I need to put it away. I need to run from the darkness and run to the light. I need to put away those sins that nobody sees, those, pr- those sins of pride and arrogance, the, the selfishness and jealousy. Those things need to be put to death. Why? Because we are of the light. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5 says this, For you are all children of the light, children of the day. And Jesus is our son. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So run from the darkness. It might promise you joy unhindered, but it will leave you in slavery and bondage. It leads to sin, death, and the devil. Third, your future is incredibly bright. Your future is incredibly bright. Your past, your new creation. Light, where there's darkness. Your present, your present is, I'm light. I'm running from darkness, I'm running to the light. Your future, incredibly bright. This is pale. This is dim in comparison to what awaits us. We've only seen in part what is to come. Revelation 22, 1 to 5. says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Sound kind of familiar? Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life and its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. You see, a harvest has come in. And the leaves of the trees were the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They'll worship. They'll see him as he is, worthy of worship. And verse 4, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night, night will be no more. Does that mean you're not going to be in the dark anymore? I don't know. There's no more night. There's no more darkness. And what darkness represents, they, we are told, will need no light of lamp or of sun. You won't need the sun anymore. Why? For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Can't wait for that day. It's going to be lit like all the time. Let's pray.